What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie fans, Dimitri Panos here for Popcorn Talks Anatomy of a Movie, where today we try to break a glass ceiling. Talk soon. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hello, movie fans, and talk movies we shall. And today, for Anatomy of a Movie, we are going to talk about Glass. Glass, the the the, the third in a trilogy... That no one knew was happening until Split came out, uh, and now we've capped it off uh, with Glass. Uh, I have a great host. Uh, it's your second time on Anatomy of a Movie, if I'm correct. Yes. I mean to say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. So excited to be here. And uh, where can people find you? You can so. find me on Instagram at Mina Makes Magic, or go to my ma- website, MinaMakesMagic.com. That's that, MinaMakesMagic.com. I like that. Very nice. We also have a special guest in studio, Mina's mom, who is not on camera, but she's here watching. Hopefully, she doesn't fall asleep while doing so. (laughs) But hello. Welcome. So uh, we are going to talk about Glass, a very interesting movie, a movie that that begs, I think, of discussion. So as we open up every single show, we are going to start off with our opinions. So Mina... Yeah. What did you think of Glass? I actually liked it, despite the really harsh critiques from the film critics. Um, I came into it without having seen Unbreakable, only having seen Split, and I enjoyed Split. I thought it was a very M. Night Shyamalan movie, and I thought this movie had a lot of twists. Um, And I wasn't exactly sure where it was headed, but I liked to see the interaction between um, the three key players, and I, I really did not know what Samuel Jackson's character would be because I didn't see Unbreakable. Understood. Yeah. Which which then before I give my before I give my opinion, so you 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 uh, I remember talking to you about Split. This was a few weeks ago when we were deciding what shows we were going to do. Yeah. Um so the ending of Split really meant nothing to you. Because it, you didn't understand I didn't piece it together the way you would right. if you had seen Unbreakable. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, so the the diner scene, and you just said, what the hell's Bruce Willis doing in yeah, this movie? I, yeah, I honestly, <laughs> gotcha. that didn't register with me at all. I just thought, oh, okay, he's been in another M. Night Shyamalan movie. Right. Didn't really make the connection there. So um, Glass, did, did Glass as either a standalone movie then, uh, did it tie things in for you to... Like, did you figure things out easily? Like, did it tie in the characters in a way where, I mean, you didn't see Unbreakable, but were you still able to parse out 
this movie did. It put bring every all these characters together in a way that you understood. It did, and I think the way I saw it was I can still have a firm understanding of this movie. I just don't have a backstory of two very key players, but I don't feel like I need that backstory to understand the movie. Okay. I just feel like it would have added more context for me, but I still enjoyed it regardless. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I did not. <laughs> um, so I'm glad somebody on the panel enjoyed the movie. Yeah, for me, this movie, um, first off, huge fan of Unbreakable, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk about each of the movies that mm-hmm. are in this 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 universe. Uh, I wasn't a big fan. I, I was a huge fan of Unbreakable, not a big fan of Split. Uh, uh, due to the marketing of Glass, I went into this movie with hope with actually high hope. I was looking forward to it. And then I saw the movie and the movie got worse for me as it went along. And it just seemed to ruin all of what Unbreakable stood for. Uh, and it seemed to do it in a, in a, in a silly, uh, it got lost in some, like just narrative stopping, painful exposition and nonsensical character motivation. For, and it was just a mess of a third act for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, it just made me, the more I thought about it, the more it just made me angry. Um, so uh, we are going to talk about a lot of various plot points because I think whether you like M. Night Shyamalan or not, he builds his movies around plot points and twists. Mm-hmm. Right? Would you yes. agree? I, I mean, mean, The Village was the first M. Night Shyamalan movie I ever saw okay. when I was younger. Yeah. And I was a child when I saw it. I sure. was, I think, in fourth grade. So um, I kept thinking, what is going on here? And when I saw the end, I was like, oh, wait. So they're in a completely, they're like Amish people in a sense. So, yeah, I remember that was my first taste of M. Night Shyamalan growing up. Yeah, and not much really with his narrative has changed much. And I really, I I should have said this at the top of the show, um, but for those people who may not have watched Glass, uh, fair warning, we are going to spoil the hell out of it. We're going to talk about various plot points. So you may want to watch the movie first and then come back and take our breakdown and listen to it and then comment. Uh, some people actually do watch our show before watching the movies, which mm-hmm. is sort of kind of cool. I appreciate that. But a movie like Glass, which really does rely on various plot twists, I, I, I don't, I, I really, I. If people voluntarily do it, that's fine, but I, I don't want people to get yeah. upset at me for not saying... Because then you go into it spoiler. with a completely right. different idea of Correct. what's going on without having the right. ups and downs of that roller coaster right. ride. So let's talk a little bit about the history of... Well, let's talk about this universe for a little bit before we really start um, talking glass. So it all began with David Dunn and Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And for me, Unbreakable is really a beautiful film and homage and love letter to comic books uh, from beginning to end. For you fans out there, I'm sure if you've watched Unbreakable, uh, and I hope you agree, that it really, from from a cinematography um, standpoint, from the way that the movie looked and from the way that the movie played out and its twist at the end... Um, you know, it is an origin story of a superhero, David Dunn, or who becomes the overseer. Mm-hmm. And it was just the way in which the movie was shot. 
Untold. It was M. Night Shyamalan's love letter to the, the, the visual medium of comics. Each scene was framed like a comic book panel. Whether, that, whether you got that or not, if you go back and you rewatch, it really is a beautiful f- film that unfolds and you see each plot point coming in it. It is a superhero coming in on his own. Mm-hmm. And it really, and when it plays out, you go, it's a superhero movie. Uh, and again, Shyamalan took such great, he, like he just really took great pride in detail about how he shot Unbreakable and the way that it looked that if you read comics, if you didn't read comics, fine, it still works. But if you're a lover of comics and how a comic book tells a narrative in a sense, because it even, the movie starts off with the whole explanation about the history of the visual form from hieroglyphics mm-hmm. that tell stories. That's today the modern comic book and how it tells stories from visual adding in words and a narrative, but a lot of it's a visual narrative, how those panels are put on the page to convey narrative and motion and movement. That's what Unbreakable was. And I still think that Unbreakable is perhaps his best film, in my dopey opinion. So, Even Quentin Tarantino said it was one of his top 20 films that inspired him as a director. Yeah. And this came out 19 years ago, and it's still you know, a lot of people's favorite superhero movie, and I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you really need to. And, and again, it, it's 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 predicated on a twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is predicated on a, a slower narrative. I mean, this is the way M. Night Shyamalan worked. So, uh, but you absorb it all in, and if you look at it, if you are a person who reads comics, and I think those people who do, who watch the show, I think you would agree that the movie was a visual comic book in which shots and scenes were framed and paneled much like they might be in a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was part of the beauty of watching the events unfold in Unbreakable. Then we get to Split. And Split was marketed as somewhat of a uh, quasi-multi-personality horror movie mm-hmm. in a sense uh and and for the most part that delivers were introduced to uh what is it henry uh what is uh james mcavoy's character's um, name i believe it's like henry uh he- oh kevin wendell crumb yes, I, kevin keep wendell, on thinking henry. I was, kevin wendell crumb yeah and and his multiple personalities and he kidnaps teenage girls, Mm -hmm. and all his personalities lead up into the one big bad, the Beast. And you think it's a multi-personality movie in which he has a psychologist who's trying to figure him out, and then they throw in this twist at the very end of Split that says, oh, wait a minute, what the hell is Bruce... Oh, this is in the Unbreakable universe. Mm -hmm. Okay, so <laughs> it's like, oh, so he's a villain, but Unbreakable already had Glass mm-hmm. or Mr. Glass. Um, so, yeah, for me, one for me, that throwing that twist in at the very end was I I wasn't a fan. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't even necessarily characterize him as a villain, though. I think who? it's um, Kevin Wendell Crumb's character. I mean, the Beast is a villain. But 
I don't think we can look at him as just one identity. I think his identity is multifaceted he's, he's because the of this split personality. Right. He, well, but he becomes the Horde, mm-hmm. which is a great comic book villain group name. So he's like the the League of Doom all wrapped up in one person. Yes. <laughs> you know, he has all these multifaceted, multi-personalities to him that lead up to who are all afraid of the big bad, which is the whore, or right. the beast, leading right. up to, you know, the, the physical transformation. So now we come into Glass. So in this trilogy, we had uh, we had a, a Dunn, David Dunn movie. Uh, we had a... Beast movie or Kevin Wendell Crumb and all of his personalities, mm-hmm. and so to top, so to round everything out, we have to have a movie about uh, Glass. Um, so here we are with uh, Samuel Jackson's character, uh, and this to me was um, interesting. He's in prison, mm-hmm. all right, and it starts off with David Dunn. Glass starts off with David Dunn yes. uh, as uh, the overseer. He's become somewhat like a Batman. He's a vigilante superhero. Cops see him as a vigilante. The people of Philadelphia find him as a hero. And he's looking for the beast. He, at the end of Split, he has, uh, he sees what this beast is. And mm-hmm. he believes he's the only one that can stop this menace from murdering Girls, teenage girls. So he's on the prowl. He's on the hunt. Um, I actually thought the first 10, 15 minutes of Glass were probably some of the best. Uh, I enjoyed seeing his son uh, come back into the picture. Uh, I thought the kid was, why isn't this kid acting? He did a good job, right? Mm -hmm. And I liked the father-son duo. Yeah. Um, You know, they mentioned they lost the mother. It's sort of kind of funny that they... Operate and operate a security store. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I and I like this, and I, I was like going, okay, how are we going to get to glass? Like, where's glass? What's what's Mister Glass doing? And they spent so much time advertising in the marketing. Yes, that's exactly what I thought going into it. I was like, where is Samuel Jackson? Right. This whole movie was marketed in a way where we see so much of Samuel Jackson. And I keep thinking, how is his? How are their uh, paths going to cross? Right. I haven't seen Unbreakable, so I don't know what role he's going to play. Although it's assumed that he will be a villain, um, and I was trying to piece that together as yeah. we went along in the film. And he's a great character, especially in Unbreakable, because in a sense, he's mentoring. In a sense, David Dunn. He recognizes the special uniqueness that David Dunn has Mm -hmm. as a superhero, and he's a comic book person. And then at the end of Unbreakable, you realize that 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 Glass was the person who was responsible for the train wreck in which is alluded to in Glass, but that Unbreakable opens on. And also that shaped the identities of both of the the key players in this movie. Absolutely. So... To me, uh, you know, we we get into so then from there we go to the overseer finds the horde, finds the lair of the horde, finds the beast, comes across, and then we're getting to a really great part, like we're a not a knockout dragout fight mm-hmm. between Mister Unbreakable and, and like 
I don't know why they didn't go with that name. That's a really cool comic book name, Mr. Unbreakable. Yeah, as opposed um, to the Overseer. As the Overseer, Mr. Unbreakable. The movie was called Unbreakable. So, But it was a really good fight. And then, lo and behold, we're introduced to a new character. The psychiatrist. The, the, yes. The new, the, um, and uh, played by Sarah Paulson, who, she was fine. Uh, Dr. Ellie Staple. Mm-hmm. We don't know who she is, and they end up being brought into, I mean, there was no due process. There was no, like, it's like, there's like no due we're process. We're back it's in the like, 1920s. Boom, you're you're, you're, you're put a into a psychiatric ward, ward <laughs> yes. which is Philadelphia's Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Ellie Staple here is going to fix their problem. Right. They have a psychiatric problem. They either think they're a superhero or a villain. She's going to cure them of these delusions of grandeur, as I believe she called them in the movie. So, and here is where we are introduced to Glass. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Glass has been in, you know, he's been in this, uh, he's been in this institution for the better part of 16 plus years, Mm -hmm. ever since the ending of Unbreakable. And here's what things started, you know, get fluey for me is like, he's been there all this time. It's leading to an ending, like... To suicide mission. That's basically what it is. And what I thought... I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the ending, but that would mean he masterminded their capture? Like, he had no idea mm-hmm. that they were both going to be brought into prison or brought into this mental institution. Dr. Ellie Staple is... Uh, she's a wild card. Like, he had no idea she was coming into this prison for that short time to psychoanalyze and to bring these three characters, Glass, the Horde, Beast, and David Dunn. So it was... So that was like the first thing going on. And I don't know, for me, I, I and while I enjoyed the parts of the psychoanalyzation, especially bringing the three of them, from a, from a cinematography point of view... It really showcased off the color palette. Glass was purple, mm-hmm. the yellow, the green, like all in one room, but it was done very subtle, very well done. Uh, and then it became sort of a one flew over the cuckoo's nest type of of, of film in which M. Night Shyamalan like, says that that movie was an inspiration for him mm-hmm. doing this in, in the mental hospital and having a character try to escape the bond like but but to me sarah paulson or dr um ellie here was no miss ratchet so to speak so i enjoyed that part and then the middle just kind of meandered for me it went on like far too long in the hospital and we do see that that glass wants to um he wants to hook up with with the other bad the bad guys getting together, mm-hmm. which is a popular comic book trope of bad guys uh, coming coming together to team up to take down the superhero. Right, you know, and we also and, see the reverse of superheroes coming together to fight uh, for the common oh, good. That's that's what the Avengers are all yes. about in Justice League. But there are you know there are great examples in comic book history of bad guys. Like bonding, coming together 
to defeat the one common enemy. Right. But Glass's motivation was not just that. He just wanted to see the fight of the century. He mm-hmm. wanted to bring these out to light, right? I mean, is that what you caught? I caught that, but I also felt like there was a redeeming quality at the very end once we see the twist. So that's why I feel like it's, even though he is a villain, it's hard to portray him as strictly just a villain when he had a mission for people to know the truth of their powers. Whether or not he wanted that knowledge for good or evil, I mean, it can be assumed that it might be for evil, but that's not for us to decide. It can be. I mean, it's part of our conversation as to, I mean, because in a sense, well, he is revealed to be the villain Mm -hmm. uh, in Unbreakable. He's not mentioned and or seen, if I recall, in Split. Um, And his motivations here, yes, is that people have powers and you folks, you know, when this twist comes out, this, this, um... I don't know what that is. Somebody's calling me. <laughs> no, um, it's okay. We'll call you back. Um, the movie—I don't know. It just again, there are so many different kinds of twists here. Number one, Glass keeps on talking about there's a new building in Philadelphia, this high rise, and he keeps on talking about how he's going to do this big, big reveal on this big high rise. We're expecting. We anticipate a big fight to happen there. That never happens. Right. Um, Then it's pairing up the bad guys uh, to fight the good guy. Um, The good guy and a bad guy fight while Glass watches and everything is being filmed uh, for this. And you're right. His his motivation is to let the world know that there are people out there who have abilities. Yeah. So... And, and to break that open to the world. Meanwhile, though, we come to find out that our that our lovely Dr. Ellie Staple is part of some shamrock cabal. Like, then this comes out of nowhere. Yeah, that was that, the twist that was so... I was like, where is this coming from? And it's... Yeah, that, that was... that. It kind of blindsided me for a second because I did... I was not expecting that twist at all. I, I actually thought... A lot of people hated that twist. I actually like that twist of, you know, it it kind of reminds me of that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio where you don't know whether the people taking care of you are really taking care of you because you have a mental illness. Are we talking... Oh, um... Not Inception. You're talking not about Inception. the one when he was in, yes. based off of uh, right. I, right now, I, and it's not coming to mind. It's right based now. off a novel. Uh, yeah, right. right Sh- now, Shutter like, Island. Shutter Island. Yeah, yeah, where we're not sure whether this is someone who's like taking care of you or whether we question authority in this movie. Um, so I thought it was an interesting twist that the people who you think are trying to help you. I might get have that, ulterior motives, but they're part of a cabal that obviously loves fine dining. <laughs> but they hate superheroes. And 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 that to me just bought like if why would why do you have to have a meeting in a restaurant? Like why do you have to wait for the last <laughs> customer like to leave before oh ding ding and then like just rent a v like just rent a, a a hall, an elk's lodge. Just like I didn't quite understand that and the whole shamrock thing, it, it reminded me sadly of like it just comes out of nowhere much like it was a plot point in one of the halloween movies in halloween 5 where all of a sudden michael myers has has a 
has a tattoo in his arm, and there are other. And it's like, what is going? Like, what the hell? So they're in restaurants. They can't go to like other places to meet. So, and then they dislike the notion of superheroes or people with abilities. And we're going to eradicate the world. So they're almost like a Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. In 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 a sense, it's more about them wanting to keep world order. I think their fear is that if knowledge of your superpowers comes to light, that this power could be used for evil and not good. So the superhero could potentially become the supervillain. So we don't know whether their reasons are pure or if they're motivated by some sort of evil because they're trying it, to keep the world in balance. That was I, the, I get that, yeah. and 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 but there was perfect balance. We had a good guy and a bad guy. Because of so, them, potentially. <laughs> it wasn't it had nothing to do with them. Like, it, like they weren't even mentioned in Unbreakable. Or you don't see these people. Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting twist to throw in within the last 15 minutes of the movie. Personally, I'm not a fan of throwing something into the movie at the very, very end where, number one, it's not like a mystery. Right. And you're just throwing in another plot narrative or a plot element. And I was like, really? Like, this makes no sense. Like, I I just, and it ruined Sarah Paulson's character because, number one, I considered her character a villain. I considered her a villain throughout the entire movie. And I was hoping that the movie was going to get to a point where she really got her comeuppance and perhaps was even killed by the beast before Mr. Unbreakable could save her. Like, why, why did you consider her a villain before knowledge of the organization that she was a part of? What made her a villain? Because of her unwillingness to accept these people's story and not seeing the proof that was in front of her of what they both were capable of doing. So when a man can really transform his body mm-hmm. from from being this meek grandmotherly type of a woman or to a nine-year-old boy and then become this beast who can scale walls when, when the proof is in the pudding, when it's right there Mm -hmm. and you deny it and you're telling them you have a problem. This is, this is all in your head. Mm -hmm. And when glass who, who literally has, he is a Lex Luthor in, in his mind. He's very smart man. His ability is that he's smart. His disability is that his bones break. They're so brittle. But when you can't see this and you deny that there's anything wrong and you try to make those people think that there's something psychologically wrong with them, that to me, she was being a villain. Mm -hmm. She was like, I I don't believe you. I I have you in a psychiatric ward because I think you're crazy. And like, this is something that's all in your head. You, You don't have superpowers, even though... She's seen and she knows their superpowers because that's why she's in Philadelphia in the first place to root them out. And that to me was villainous because you're trying to make people not believe in their ability or capability. And for a doctor, listen, a doctor should help root out evil things. Like if somebody's a serial killer. You want to get to the root of why that is. She can't take away that the horde wasn't killing teenage girls, right? Mm -hmm. You want to help that. But when somebody's doing good, you don't want to dissuade them from doing good. And 
to me, it was all about breaking them down. And it was like, well, just because you don't believe that people can have an ability doesn't mean it's not so. And as a psychiatrist, if you're trying to break these people down, you're not really doing a, your, your, your job. That's why I found her villainous so that she was really doing more harm than good to somebody like a David Dunn mm-hmm. who had learned of his ability and he took it to he took it upon himself that he was the only one that could try to track down the horde. The horde became the beast because of, as we found out, um, what happened to him as a, as a child, right? And all the various personalities, and he became this beast and feeding on uh, impurity, so to speak, or purity, um, because. He only valued those who were impure, who Correct. could understand where he came from. Exactly. And that's why he never killed the girl in Split. Because exactly. he saw in her what he saw in himself. himself. Right. So, but that person, there's a reason for, like, we know that if you're having multiple personalities, something's not really right. But set in this world of being a superhero, mm-hmm. why, again... You're 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 taking down these people who have an ability instead of trying to encourage encourage a more positive way to use this ability, right? Uh, and that to me, like she just looked she to me she was the villain, more of a villain and the threat to Glass and to the Horde and the Beast and Kevin than and um, you know David Dunn and what he was doing. She was trying to take all that away from them. Mm -hmm. And that was just part of their nature. You know, Glass was just at least very smart. Uh, Again, but I'm just trying to figure out what Glass was doing. Why was he in prison for For such a long time? For 19 years. Right, for 19 years. (laughs) Why was he just... Well, my argument would be, and this is me honestly just playing devil's advocate. Sure. If Glass had the foresight to create the beast by orchestrating a train wreck. Maybe he had the foresight to bring them all together later on, 19 years later. But am I wrong in f- in real in figuring that he didn't realize that he actually made the beast? He did realize that though, because How they, long? Because like, he had the whole conversation at, at the end where he said this is what made you the beast. If this right. didn't happen and this didn't happen, it's like the butterfly effect. And if you were not abused by your mom, you would never be the beast and you would have never unlocked your full potential. And I wanted to see that for myself. Didn't he find that information at the hospital when he looked up who Kevin was? was, Right. So he he was going through the files and trying to figure out who was in the room. That's the only part that I couldn't figure out. So you don't know who's in the room with you. Right. Or maybe he wanted to verify that his plan was working all along. But it was almost like when he saw it, he was surprised Mm -hmm. that, oh, my God, I didn't like he didn't know that little um, uh, Kevin. What is it? He didn't know that baby crumb was on that train until he realized, until he looked him up. Right. And he said, oh, oh, my God. He goes, Jesus, I created a hero and a villain right. at that time. So he was, because Unbreakable, he focuses on David because he was the sole survivor of this. 
But he never realizes that Kevin Wendell Crumb was another the, result of right. the Because he wasn't on the thing. train. He wasn't right. a passenger on the train. Right. He uh, was just affected by someone who had passed away and how that right. affected the mother. Right. Which is interesting, but he had no way of, he didn't know right. that. He, like, he didn't know who that little kid was. There, there would back. be no way to know that right. until you see the results of your action and trace it back exactly. to one moment in time. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where he concocts the idea of we're going to, you know, look. So there's more than, there's three of us now. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be more than just the three. Right. At least his belief, and his belief has always been that. Now, what he's been doing for 19 years, I have no idea why he wouldn't try to orchestrate an escape from before, or if he did, and he's all doped up. Um, but yeah, so then we move to the, the fight scene, like the, the escape. The one in the parking lot. Right. Yeah. Where he orchestra, where glass orchestrates an escape. Um, he somehow figures out, you know, there, there's, well, if I can't change you, I'm going to lobotomize you. Right. Another one flew over the cuckoo's nest reference. And, and, and via laser, and he, although not knowing what this is, he was able to take out the lens mm-hmm. so he doesn't get lobotomized. Uh, this is all part of his grand scheme. And I get it. Like, a smart villain supposed to be a step ahead, but, I don't know, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I think like, we're just supposed to ignore the the mechanics of it and just accept it as this is just the way I it understand. is because it's M. Night Shyamalan, I, I, so we just have to blindly... But see, agree with and, the that, plot. and that's what bothered me about the movie, especially after watch, especially with a movie like Unbreakable, mm-hmm. which so set up things so beautifully and so nicely. Like I wouldn't have minded yeah. seeing another David Dunn movie as the overseer of Mister Unbreakable. Like that would have been kind of cool to pair him up again with Elijah and 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 our Glass. I wouldn't have minded that. It's just, we never get that movie. In this movie, in Unbreakable works because whether you are a fan of comic books or not, you can still understand the movie, right? There's no silly, over-the-top exposition right. where Split goes in and just thinks the audience doesn't even know what a comic book is. Mm-hmm. So throughout the entire movie... There are characters that literally stop the narrative to tell you what's going Oh, well, this is where the villain does this. And this is where we're going to fight and have a... And and to me, I was like going, yeah, I'm watching it happen. You don't need to explain it to me. And I think the scene that really got me the most was when our, our dear doctor was in a comic book shop. And there were two kids, and they just happened to be talking so loud. Oh, well, the mastermind always has a plan. And I'm, like, going, and then he are had, you kidding me? And then there's me? the and light bulb she, moment right, where she's like, oh, moment. so, what, wait, maybe I wasn't as smart as I thought. Maybe yeah. the mastermind had it all figured the out. The mastermind <laughs> always has. And I'm like, what are the oh, my God. Like, you're just, you're telling me explaining. what, shit, you're explaining things that, really don't need explaining if you've done a good job flushing out your characters. Right. And if I understand motive and whatnot. 
But I also think it's not just exposition that that ruins this for you necessarily. I think it's the fact that Unbreakable set such a precedent in the mm-hmm. eyes of you and the eyes of several people that because it's one of M. Night Shyamalan's best work, you don't sure. go into this with a fresh pair of eyes. So for me, I have such a different perspective from yeah, you because I, I can enjoy this separately without having been influenced by Unbreakable, without <laughs> having seen it as one of the best superhero movies of all yeah, time. I don't even say it's the best superhero movie of all time. I do say it's one of his best yes. movies of all time. But when you're when you're painstakingly spending so much time to set this universe up right set it up to like if you made something so great aspire to be that great mm-hmm. don't don't like fall off the edge of a cliff and and like don't like your audience understood unbreakable mm-hmm. and then you come up with split and then you just throw that mickey in at the end saying oh guess what i'm in the unbreakable universe and that comes out of like nowhere some people liked it some people didn't but over here, it just seemed all the goodwill that was attained through Unbreakable and setting up that world, this becomes like the anti-world of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get, you know, there's the fight and Glass wants to use the technology that was put in for him, yeah, <laughs> basically, to use it against the people. And then we come to find out as we're being told there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a fight at the top of this building, tallest mm-hmm. building in Philadelphia. There's going to be a fight. Going to be a fight. Never mind. Never a fight. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me wonder, uh, was that budgetary? Like, did we, because that too would have been broadcast mm-hmm. throughout all of the entire world to see, or at least all of Philadelphia, but that would have gotten news coverage yeah. there. But we instead have a fight on the grounds of, Philly's Arkham Asylum. Right. Which it just the fight didn't work. It it I was it I thought the fight at the beginning of the movie was better. Like I was more thrilled by that. There was more anticipation, and in, in a lot yes. of ways, even though it was just four cheerleaders, it right. felt like there was more at stake for some reason. There was anticipation. You didn't know what was going to happen. The setting was different because it's not not to use any sort of pun or double meaning. It wasn't in the light. Right. It was in the dark. You're right. Um, and you really had no idea what the beast would do. You're right. kind of anticipating, is he going to go after the cheerleaders? Is he going after Bruce Willis's character? How will this play out? And then you have, like, this anticipation, and then they're somehow just captured by this psychiatrist. Right. And we're like, how did this happen? And how is it that they were not able to see the good in Bruce Willis's character to not take him in? Right. That was the part that was so frustrating for me, was seeing that it's so night and day who who, who is good, good is and who bad is. Um, and it's just, it was frustrating that they would put Bruce Willis... His character right across from James right. McAvoy's character in the same area and have him constantly asking, oh, there's no security right. for this guy? Kind of insinuating also in the script, why is there no security right. for this person? You're making it so easy for someone to break out. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think what you bring, you, you brought up something which, which, which says a lot. There were stakes in that first fight. Mm-hmm. There were the four cheerleaders, and 
the overseer here is there to save them. Where at the the the, the final brawl. There were no stakes. It was just... The two girls in the car who were actually let go early on. Yeah, but and Bruce Willis's the, character bends the the steel right. to protect the other SWAT team members. Yeah. So everyone is, you know, actually safe except for themselves. So maybe that was what M. Night Shyamalan was trying to prove, that the biggest stake is themselves and their own livelihood. Because if one of them escapes, this could alter the universe as we know it because of the butterfly effect that was talked about in that same exact scene. Sure, but those stakes were random. Like, they came (laughs) up, it was basically, they were meant to escape to fight. Right. To to have, you know... Instead of just fighting inside where they they were, it's like, let's take this outside. And and we're going (laughs) to have it all done on video camera um, so that I can release... I can viral. I can release to this to this to the world, and it'll go viral. Mm-hmm. And you know the other twist for me, which again I just didn't. Everybody dies right at the end. Um, and the, and not necessarily in the most satisfying of ways to be drowned in a puddle of water, which yeah. Unbreakable did set up that. It, and again, it was set up in such a great way that. Well, every superhero has a weakness. Superman has his kryptonite. You know, Batman doesn't want to fall in love. He has this weakness for that. Or David Dunn's weakness is water. Mm-hmm. Like, he can drown in a, in, a, in a teacup or in a thimble of water. That's, his, that's what weakens him. That's his kryptonite. So we understood that. But but the monster is shot with a bullet. The beast is right. shot with a bullet. Right. And then the, it just wasn't super, it wasn't a super satisfying way to no. go. Especially when you have a buildup where um, Anna K. Joy's character is trying to form this relationship with him. Right. Which is some weird Stockholm Syndrome this is okay. stuff I'm, going on. I'm so But it's supposed to be endearing up. at the same time. And I can't understand why you would go to your captor. When you have nothing to gain from it, and why a psychiatrist would put you in that situation, and that wouldn't be a red flag at all if you're a psychiatrist to bring the person who's a victim of abuse into the same situation to relive a trauma that wasn't that old. Keep in mind, 2016, 2019, a three-year-old trauma, and she's already witnessing him on the news capturing people, but she still makes... The conscious decision to go back. That's what was so mind-blowing I, I for me. wanted to talk about that as well because, it, again, it just defies logic, period. And from for a character that, like, there was no sense of that in Split. Like, right. There was nothing that was even hinted that there was an admiration there. Mm-hmm. And and that's the crazy thing right. is that James McAvoy's character alludes to that when the first time he talks to her yeah. in one of his character voices, you were trying to escape this whole time and now you're back. Right. Even his character, who's one of the most illogical characters, finds this to be completely right. insane and yeah. incongruent with human nature. And it makes no sense. It's it just like, in in that that was the other thing that made me question our dear doctor. Is that, wait, no, you, you said it. Like, no psychiatrist would say, oh, this is a good <laughs> idea. Sure. You're, you're, you're a damaged soul uh, who, on top of being damaged from, from your abuse, you were captured by this monster. 
Yeah, I'm going to put you in a room with me. I think that I'm was the first you. time we saw any indication that she might not be a psychiatrist. Because if we were to revisit that, we would know she is doing this because this is worth the greater good and right. the ends justify the means. It's okay to sacrifice one to save the lives of many. Right. She came in it with that mindset. Yeah, and and again, it was just, I was like, what's going on here with her? Like, it makes, other than Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that you can say, but it just didn't make sense, especially it being, like you said, only three only three years, if that, right? So I couldn't get her motivations. I couldn't get that character's motivations at all. The sons I got. I, I mean, I think her character fell in love with Kevin, but empathized with Hedwig, so she overlooked the Beast because of those other personalities that she was able to empathize with and form a bond with, especially when she opens up to him and says, "My, I put my uncle in jail after the abuse. I understand what you went through. Let me help you. And she uses love and empathy as the connection with which to set him free. Sure. But then he's shot. So yeah. it's so unsatisfying in a way it, is. It, it, it was and then it made me then it made me figure well can he just turn into the beast and like sort of kind of wolverine yeah that bullet because, out, because but, they mentioned how he was shot twice before and uh-huh. he survived he was yeah. only shot once this time yeah. and that one bullet would destroy everything even though he survived two in the past apparently so Apparently so. That was the one part that was unsatisfying. But even though I thought it was illogical for her to go back to him, Mm -hmm. I still enjoyed watching that dynamic. And if that dynamic weren't in the movie, I don't think it would have been as satisfactory for me. There was something about that dynamic that I appreciated, but I also got from it, then why didn't you just talk to him earlier and prevent the fight scene? It just doesn't make sense. The timing doesn't make sense. It's kind of like how at the end of any horror or psychological thriller, the cops come after the aftermath. (laughs) So it felt like that. I just felt, had she approached it with a little more horror, yeah, you know, I would have bought it more, but I just didn't understand so much what's going on in this dynamic. So She was almost fearless. Yeah, and clueless. Uh, I I don't know. It was just, it was weird for me. And to have that character show up the way she showed up. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I could understand if she wanted to show up out of, like, I want to make sure that he goes to jail for the rest of his life. Right. You know, Um, whatever. That didn't happen. He gets shot, and you're right. It was just very... Anticlimactic. Um, yeah, it really, it really was. <laughs> You're building up to something, and then it just falls flat. But I still enjoyed. He wasn't the movie. saved, and he wasn't like you know. I wanted to see this fight, mm-hmm. which never really comes to great fruition. And then we have Glass. So Glass is the one that believes in abilities. He's he's a Professor X. Yeah. Okay. And he believes that people have abilities and wants to bring these abilities out, out into the world, out into the open so that people can realize what's going on. He's the mastermind of this entire thing. And he realizes uh, that 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 uh, um, crumb that that he actually created crumb, too. And he was going to say something and he dies a very anticlimactic death i mean yeah his and again just be like you're already weak you don't stand a chance when it comes to your bones and you're just gonna paralyze a man who's already a paraplegic 
And if I'm correct, he was given an opportunity in the hospital. It's like, well, we can do like an exoskeleton thing. We can almost cure you in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's the mastermind, why wouldn't he have said yes to that? <laughs> and then mastermind his way out of there and he can walk and not have to worry about his bones breaking. Yeah. Like, oh, why didn't you think of that, Glass? Like, mm-hmm. what? If- <laughs> so now we get to the. I, 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 I beat your foils, you know, shamrock cabal, because now the whole world is going to know yeah. about people with abilities. And we have a scene that takes place in the train station, okay? And the video goes viral, mm-hmm. okay? And everybody's like, oh! And I'm like, how okay. would you even know who these people are to begin yeah, with or the, well, or the backstory? It was just. I've seen viral videos before, and yeah. if I saw somebody bending a rut, I would just go, well, that looks fake. Yeah. And like everybody went into it just saying, <laughs> wow. Everybody, not one person said, oh, this is stupid. Like, that doesn't even look real. Yeah. And it didn't look real. <laughs> so it was, again, that ending to me just didn't it didn't work it fell so flat i actually really like the ending why the reason i liked it was because we're kind of expecting one thing and it's the only twist that i fully appreciated sure because even if samuel jackson's character had bad intentions and letting this be known to the universe okay i think it's great that you have a conclusion where even though these three people are dead, right. who are superheroes and supervillains who have extra strength in different dimensions, you finally let the entire world know that people like this exist, so that they it, it defeats the whole purpose of the of psychiatrist the sh- and the Shamrock organization. Which, when you look at it, that might be the, the uh, person that all of them came to defeat after all, because you kind of talked earlier about the villain trope. How villains will come together to fight good or how good people will come together to fight bad. But maybe the villains who came together were actually heroes that came together and had great consequences at the end so that the world could know that superheroes exist. On paper, that sounds fantastic. It was just cheesy and execution. Again, I want to talk about um, the movie cost $20 million. Uh, A lot of it was financed by M. Night Shyamalan himself, which, mm-hmm. number one, I can respect. I can respect when uh, when, a, when a creator puts his money into something that he believes in. Now, he did have some Blumhouse. He did have Universal, uh, you know, one of the major six studios backing him in this. Um, so, but investing in your own thing, most people would tell you don't do it. But this has already been established mm-hmm. that through Unbreakable, through Split, did very well at the box office. So um, I appreciate the fact that he that he did that. But again, it was $20 million And had a conversation, it was just about a week ago, with some of my Meet the Movie press colleagues about this going, we wonder if he literally did have something staged to be in this high-rise. Mm-hmm. But then budget comes, and it's like, I can't afford to do that. Right. <laughs> I'm going to do, well, let's just use the front lawn <laughs> and, like, have the fight 
That would yeah. actually make a lot of sense. And it would. $20 million's not a lot. $20 million's not enough. Re- for an action movie? I mean, it would be a lot if it was something that was, you know, character-driven or if it was something where, you know, it, it, it doesn't need that. But this is something that requires a lot of special effects. It, it does, but I'm going to bring up a movie that we were talking about uh, just prior to the show. I was talking with, with Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Upgrade, this movie that came out earlier in the summer. Not a lot of people saw this, but this movie had, we had a v- extremely a smaller budget than Glass did, and it still worked in a visual medium uh, via special effects, via the way that it was shot. Where here, I felt that the fight scenes where the Beast is like running across the the, the, the lawn. It, it just looked fake. It didn't yeah. look real. I was thinking that, too. That's so funny you mentioned that, because the minute his hands went out and it looked like a cheetah running, I kind of started <laughs> laughing a little bit. Yeah. But and it was entertaining. I just was like, what is going on? Then, then take this to the next step, which is the end, where you go, <laughs> look at that on a cell phone, on a YouTube video, and it'll look even worse. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I'm like... People can't be buying this because it looked it looks fake on a big screen to me. Yeah. And if they're watching it, I'm not buying that again. There's a lot of pessimism when it comes to social media and things, and I could just see people going, "What the hell is this? That's not real." Yeah. And on to the next, you know, kitty. So much skepticism of whether something is real or fake. Right. right. And so then I'm saying, well, then Glass's intention didn't really work, but. I want to go talk about, since we, we, we've dissected this plot and how it potentially worked or didn't work, which is fine. That's what opinions are all about. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't dislike you or any more or I, I appreciate open opinions. And I think Glass, if anything, much like Split, much like almost any M. Night Shyamalan movie, begs of discussion. Mm-hmm. Whether you like the movie, dislike the movie it begs of a of a of a healthy discussion of a breakdown of well this worked for me because or this didn't work for me i think glass is a perfect example of of, of that um and 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 being that it 20 million to make uh part of blumhouse which, which um you know they make horror movies on the cheap 20 million actually is on is high for them mm-hmm. um so, and then Shyamalan uh, films this in Philadelphia, which is, it's where he's from. Right. He likes the film in his hometown. As with almost all of Shyamalan's films, uh, Glass was shot in and around Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And one of the things, uh, to find perfect locations, uh, his location manager, Stacy Stacy Hagenbaugh, who he'd work with on The Happening and The Visit. Now, see, The Visit, to me, is another really solid M. Night Shyamalan film that I had no expectations to, but worked out to be a mm-hmm. pretty decent horror thriller movie. See, I saw The Happening, good, but, but not The Visit. The Visit's really good. Um, I, at least I think so. So so let's talk about The Brick Factory with the first house, with the cheerleaders are yes. held captive, right? They scouted at least 25 potential brick factory options before we landed on one. And ultimately, it was the Frankfurt Arsenal, a former, catch this, it was a former 19th century army ammunition plant in northeast Philadelphia was where they filmed that. So mm-hmm. that that's 
pretty cool. There's some maybe some Philadelphia history. Uh, the location was going to be, uh, you know, going on a lot of stunt work, visual effects work, everything happening at the same time. I really thought that the brick again. I felt that the brick, that that brick factory, that fight scene to me was the most. Like that was the me, best the one. one that worked. Yeah. yeah, and the one that was so hyped up that had all the potential in the world felt a little flat for it's, me. It, well, I liked it too because, again, you you hadn't seen Unbreakable, but you know that David Dunn, the overseer, we know what his power is. Mm-hmm. He hasn't met, or the Beast hasn't met him yet. And as the Beast is trying to kill him, whether it be crushing him, the Beast is like going. What is up with this guy? Why can't I not kill this guy? Yeah. What, what is what is? I need to know more about you. Mm-hmm. I like that dynamic of the fight, and I really did like that setting of 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 the fight as well. And it worked. Re- I like the claustrophobicness. Well, it was inside a building, so the beast could go up walls, and mm-hmm. and and David and and Dunn himself is like. Jesus, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. So, again, it, I found it to be far more exciting, um, and then it, and then it abruptly comes to a halt. <laughs> so, but I did like that. I did like that setting a lot. Yeah, for that scene. Same it here. Worked. So, um, so then Shyamalan and Hagenbaugh, uh, they spent uh, some few days exploring hospitals. Uh, you know, for the psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. So they found one 1913. Um, it opened, so, so the hospital, the, the actual hospital, opened in 1913, closed in 2010, uh, and at its peak in 1950, it housed more than 2,000 patients wow. at its peak. And they, you know, which is, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Again, going, you know, it had that old school kind of look. Um, oh, the pink walls were so the eerie. Pink walls. Yeah, the the scene where they're interviewing each of the uh, Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, James McAvoy. Yep. That was there's something so unsettling about the pink walls. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because that's what I was going to talk about. Oh. Because one room that provided a particular bit of inspiration was a former day room mm-hmm. for the patients, and it was <laughs> so Hagenbaugh goes on. It was painted a bright. Pepto bismol pink. Mm. It was pretty incredible. And Pepto abysmal. Pepto pe- <laughs> Seriously. That's very funny. So, and that was the day room. So they replicated the same look, that same pink room, uh, one one floor below it. So when they're building a set, and it became the most pivotal room in the hospital where Dr. Staple meets Dunn Price crumb together for their group session. Mm-hmm. But I, and again. If I'm looking at positives for the movie, the cinematography in this scene alone, the color palette was great because much like the poster, here we go. And yes. look, look, look what the pink Pastels. is able to do. Yeah. Right. It's able to showcase each of the characters color like perfectly. So you see the green, you see the yellow I, and you see obviously glasses, purple, blanket there mm-hmm. and i really felt that this captured the dynamic the psychology of each character perfectly and i really thought it was filmed really well in the interaction the characters yes. worked in that room and i think what's so brilliant about this is 
these are colors you would see in a nursery. If you had a baby in a crib, you would see pastel blue. You would see this pastel pink, this yellow. Um, And I think it kind of shows how we we have three key players that are so powerful that are being infantilized in this scene. And I love how the colors contribute to that dynamic of making them powerless and putting them in a circumstance where they have lost all power. In a sense, yeah. And again, for for those of you who are listening, um, we're, we're just... Uh, our wonderful producer Juliet, thank you very much. She 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 listens. She pays attention. Um, and unfortunately, if you're listening to us right now, you can't see um, just the one scene. Uh, there's a still photo of the scene we're talking about. Uh, you can look it up online uh, where they're in this pepto pepto abysmal <laughs> uh, room. But how each color purposely stands out to define the character. Um, mm-hmm. wearing that color. And in part, it's really drawn out because it's in contrast to pink. So um, I really appreciated that from a production design and from a cin- cinematography way. I really appreciated that scene um, a lot. I thought it was really beautiful. So in color, I think when you think about heroes and villains in superhero movies, the color in which they dawn is is important it really does help define the character that we're in this is one of the few uh movies where we don't see like a bright red or like a royal blue or the stereotypical superhero we see colors that are not often utilized you know in the marvel universe or in the dc universe and it kind of speaks to how m night Shyamalan right. has his own very unique style absolutely and and again whether you like the gentleman's movies or not um and it seems later in his career a lot say no and and there are articles even written about uh, the best thing that M. Night Shyamalan could do is stop writing his own scripts. Mm-hmm. So people feel that he has directing chops. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and and he does. He knows how to work a camera. He knows visually uh, how to make a scene look and how to make it flow. Uh, you know, I do wish... I think the days of Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs may be gone. Uh, there was hope for me in The Visit... Uh, which I think is a very fun uh, horror movie uh, to watch with some really great performances by these kids and and the people who are their grandparents. Um, but yeah, I think that sometimes when you're funding when when it's your baby and you're funding it and you're not allowing other people to come in to try to tweak things and and I don't sometimes sometimes their ideas are good. I I, I get it. A lot of people don't like interference, and sometimes the interference, they're not the best ideas in the world, but this one could have used a little bit of help, mm-hmm. I think. Um, in any case, so then we go into, again, like the color the, the color palette of the costumes. So we got purple, yellow, and gold. Not, not, yellow, um, not yellow, as I said. So it, it really defines each character without making it complicated right it's a good visual cue i feel like purple you know especially is a regal color it's used with royalty and in a sense here's a man mr glass who is 
virtually completely disabled. Right. Um, and he's the one calling the shots. He's the one in power. He is the king mm-hmm. out of the three. So I feel like that purple really mirrors the power right. that he holds. Yeah. And 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 according, you know, and and according to the costume, to designing this um, costume designer Paco Delgado. You know, we have three, these characters who, apart from being superheroes, they they do, in a sense, well, except for the Horde, lead normal lives. We try to find balance where superhero starts, where the human being finishes. It's two sides of the same character. So, for example, when we want to dress David Dunn, we stick with the green palette. But it's much more subtle when he's wearing the green poncho. It's the same for the other characters mm-hmm. as well. So, the you know... Green, purple, yellow extended to the looks of each man's family member or surrogate family member as well. Mm -hmm. This created that visual connection between Dunn and his son, uh, between Price and his mom and Crumb and Casey Cook. The key was to do it in a way that felt organic and subtle. Um, And again... I did not pick up on that. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, but I appreciate the color palette in dressing the characters and... How they were filmed, each one literally stood out as if everything else was just chromatic and they were the only ones in color. Right. Uh, and and that I appreciate um, for what he was able to do. Now, you know, go, we, we talked a little bit about the visual effects. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most see. Okay, Juliet, that's a great this is, scene. Yeah, this is just beautiful. Because, a, again, this was... This is it, it. It almost reminds me of the '84 Police album Synchronicity, in which the police used a similar type of three skill color palette um, for their album and for various videos. And this showcases it here beautifully, where each character is in their mode of color, and it was used a lot. If you could bring up a poster, Juliet, that would be great too. And again, for those watching, I apologize. I understand. Uh, but, 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 but visually, uh, you know, I want to show something and, and, you know, show there were aspects of this movie that mm-hmm. I appreciated what, what, what Shyamalan and crew were going for, but it was also heavily used in the marketing. It was used in the posters, yeah. um, that the color palette was, and, that's a you great poster, yeah. by the way. And it, it really is. And I think, I believe, too, that Universal did a magnificent job in marketing this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because, number one, it got me to go see it. <laughs> that was number one. Because I really, after Split, yeah. I was like sort of kind of checked out, right? Their marketing... From a trailer perspective, uh, from from a from a graphic perspective, from posters and everything, it made it look like this was going to be the anti-hero, superhero kind of... It was going to be different. Right. And I appreciated that. I thought the marketing was, was really solid, and that's why I went to go see this movie. Uh, it was actually... The marketing convinced me to do it, so... Kudos for Universal and their marketing team. Mm-hmm. I walked out angry. I think, but it's also the star power. Sure. I feel like when you get to see Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, we never see either of them Die anymore. Die Hard with a Vengeance. 
Diehard with a vengeance. They're <laughs> in that movie together. Five, yeah. Yeah. Um, and James McAvoy all come together in one movie. Sure. All three of these are phenomenal actors. James McAvoy, he is so versatile. He was in atonement. He can pretty much he can do anything. He's, and the fact that he shows this versatility within no, his character arc. And look it, and, and again, regardless of whether I light split or, or this movie, I cannot take away McAvoy's performance either because the mere fact that he's able to like change at the snap of a finger mm-hmm. and do it and then become completely another character and in this movie he didn't have the costume accoutrement to be that character mm-hmm. to walk into a room dressed as as a like a like Patricia, almost like, like Patricia or... a headmaster, <laughs> yeah, a headmistress at a yeah, yeah. He didn't have that or so much. Boy, right. or someone who yeah, so he go, shifts from cerebral to all physical. an infant to anything he really wants to be, right. and he can do any accent. And, I was beyond impressed, and obviously, like we saw Split, I was impressed with his performance in that. You have to, be. but I feel in this movie it it showed even more because of the the very fast paced nature. Of switching while in the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the strobe light scene. You know, yeah, he was he was able to do it flawlessly. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic. I mean, he really is. Um, you know, he he's 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 a he's a he's a fine actor. But they all are. Yeah, I have no know. complaints about the casting whatsoever. Yeah. Even nope. Anna K. Joy. I like I like she's I like Anna star. Yeah, I like it. I like her a lot. I've loved her since The Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and again. I even say the person who played. I have to. I'm going to look up the boy's name. Um, the person who who played Dunn's son, who was also Spencer in the Spencer Treat Clark. Okay. Yes. Why Hollywood? Why aren't you using this guy more? <laughs> I mean, he was good in this movie, and it was good. Like, I get it. Sometimes when when it's a little kid, and they grow up. They don't become, you know, they're not that little cute kid anymore, but he was still a good actor. Yeah. He was still, I, I, I really enjoyed, like, seeing him there. He's so, mainly, a, he's done a lot of television. You know, he was in Mad Men, NCIS, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Criminal Minds, uh, so Animal Kingdom, yeah. but not a lot not a lot of film. I mean... Um, I would put him in feature. I, I felt that yeah. he was... He was in Gladiator, though, yeah, in 2000. Even, 20 years when he was a kid. When he was a kid. <laughs> kid, yeah. So... Like, I really, really appreciate, um, I thought he was good. I had no, no real problems with, say, performance other than character motivations going through, including Sarah Paulson, who I liked, but she had that undercurrent of evil to her. So, you know, and then when you, when you talk about the script and we, we, we talk about the writing, catch this. So... M. Night Shyamalan says it was one of the quickest screenplays um, that he's ever written oh, next to Signs. He should have never said that. He should yeah, have he never goes, maybe there was to that. Eight drafts. He said Signs was six, so Glass might have been seven drafts. Mm-hmm. Eh, you should have gone for eight. Um, you know, and and again, he has to tie in something that happened 19 years ago, too, which isn't easy and it i thought it started off okay um so you know and it's interesting that this the the author of 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 this article which comes from the hollywood reporter you know says that unbreakable uh 
you know, seem somewhat as a disappointment at the time. I, I never looked at Unbreakable as a disappointment. Maybe from box office, and we can look that up. But I always felt that Unbreakable was one of his more one of his better films. And I was at that time too when it was coming out. I was heavily into reading more comics than I do today, mm-hmm. and I completely got what he was saying. And I didn't need painful, like ear hurting exposition to do it. Right. Um, so. You know, it's it's very, it was really interesting um, about like what going from Unbreakable to this movie, and it's also interesting to learn that they well they test they tested glass they did test screenings of it, mm-hmm. and he said that M Night Shyamalan goes on and says that the test screenings were really crazy. We did them, and he says that the audiences went with them. They were not they weren't. They just were not polarized in any way by anything that we just mentioned. And he says that this movie was one of the highest testing movies ever, ever. And the thing we're talking about, the ending, was refreshing to them. So, which is interesting because when you look at what the audience score on CinemaScore said it was a B. Mm -hmm. That's not... It's a B. Rotten Tomatoes did pretty well, though, audience-wise. Not tomato meter-wise, but... Tomato meter-wise, it was at 36%. Yes, 36% versus 77% audience score, which I totally understand because they're not coming at this with the lens of, oh, um, what's going on with the different plot points? How come this doesn't make sense? It's more like, is this an entertaining movie? How are the actors' performances? They are, and you know, I know the audience that I watched this with. They were totally—you could tell that they were split fans and Unbreakable fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it was interesting. A couple, uh, a couple did walk out. Um, I, I don't understand why. I didn't think it was. Well, it made me angry, but I've never walked out of a movie. So <laughs> my but mom laughed a couple times. So. Well, there you go. But 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 when you look at us. Here you liked the movie, I did enjoy where it. I, I just didn't. So, and this is why I think those movies are great to talk about because I think M Night Shyamalan has that chism, the split, and he has the split, so to speak, where some people buy what he's selling and other people are like, just stop, just stop already, <laughs> and and that's why it's worthy of the discussion. So. I do want to talk about so it cost production budget was twenty million. Universal probably probably threw in another forty to fifty million for marketing, prints, and advertising. Listen, advertising was all over the place for this movie. Whether you're in a movie theater, whether you're driving a car, watching TV, there were glass was everywhere. So it wasn't that people didn't know the glass was coming out. So in its opening weekend. Uh, on 3,841 theaters, um, you know, $40 million. Now. It already won back so much of its investment. Absolutely. Uh, going into the weekend, though, if you were going to listen to a lot of the prognosticators who were saying $70 million. Mm. They were saying prior to going in. And as the days went on, well, it's going to do about 60 Well, it's going to do about oh, no. 55 Well, it's going to do about... 50, and it came in at 40. Do you think so, that the, the reviews negatively impact moviegoers from attending and watching? I don't think they helped being that split 
from a review standpoint, did so much better. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the reviews were going to keep fans of Split away. Yeah. I don't I Because don't that think was so. my motivation in going. I wanted to see how Split would would come into this movie with right. Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson having so, not seen Unbreakable. I was very curious. Yeah. So I think the interesting thing here to talk about with um with its box office gross is that to date domestically to date it's at 54 and a half million dollars okay that's not too shabby but catch this from a foreign standpoint it's foreign take is thus far at 53.9 let's just call it 54 million Mm dollars it's almost split down the middle from a domestic and a foreign but all in worldwide it's made 108 million dollars already That's already, yeah. That's, you know, you can't be too upset if people don't like your movie, <laughs> but yet they continue to pay in worldwide box offices over $100 million so far. And 50, as you said, that's 54, you know, you're almost uh, at 20 million. You're almost at three times your w- w- what the budget was right there. Yeah. Domestically. That's, you know. I think that's, when there's, I think when something has star power behind it and when, um, it is an action movie. It performs so much better overseas because you're not relying on dialogue to understand a film, even though this film requires <clears throat> understanding a lot of dialogue. So I'm a, well, slightly confused thing. that it performs so well. But overseas, though. Yeah. You mentioned cast. Bruce Willis, Sam Jackson, mm-hmm. James McAvoy. You have good cast that overseas, these people carry some weight. Superstars. You know, so... I, I understand, and I believe overseas, too, split it pretty well. I do have a breakdown of each movie, so let's start off Unbreakable, um, which opened up in 2000. Uh, it's, it's final domestic gross is $95 million. I wouldn't really call that too much of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, split, though, came in at $138 million domestic total. Now, it's opening was $40 million as well. It was just below Glass's opening of 40.3. Split was 40. It split ended up at 138. Thus far, we're looking at a total of $54.5 million for domestic total of Glass. It's going into a weekend where it really does it. It's a, somewhat of a weak weekend for box office. There's mm-hmm. not too much other choice a lot of people don't really watch the oscar nominated or like the golden globe winning movies as much well they're out there and there will be for the movies that were nominated that are still theatrically born there'll be a bump however i think the glass is still going to become number one even look even if it has a 60 (laughs) percent drop which which is possible it's not a uh we're not into a holiday weekend anymore. You know, you, you'd be talking instead of fifty-four, we're going to be doing maybe twenty-three million, twenty to twenty-three. Which is fine depending. because he's still be getting 70. his investment right. back. He invested so much, and he's actually getting well, that return. He, yeah, he and Universal. So, you know, the series as a whole has done very, very well, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, you you can't knock the numbers. People enjoy the universe a lot. So, 
hey, who am I? <laughs> you know, um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not he, you know, M. Night does say he can expand the universe if he wanted to. We'll see if that happens. Would you be interested um, in, in watching future M. Night Shyamalan, Unbreakable-related? Today, today I say no, because I like David Dunn. All those characters are dead. What if it's right? an origin so, story? Well, this we was an origin. It. We've yeah. already had two origin, uh, two origin stories. Um, today I say no. Then the marketing will come out. And it'll probably grab me, and I'll be a sucker again. And then I'll go, only to get pissed off. So, yeah, but today I say, you've done it. It's done. It's literally. um, We don't need it anymore. um, Because it's just, I don't know. I just think the series, you capped it off. I don't think it, personally, you didn't cap it off in, in any particular great way. It'll make money. Go do another horror movie again. To do something, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So Psychological thriller would be fun. He could do it. I mean, he's a big fan of Alfred Hitchcock. So, And you can see that in his directing. And that's why he always wanted to do the, the you know, everything was predicated on a twist. I think what happened, what may have, what I believe could have happened in his career, after The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Um, after The Sixth Sense... Everybody expected his next movie to have another twist. Uh, and it had another twist. And then his next movie. And everybody now goes in to an M. Night Shyamalan movie looking for the twist. And he has to figure out a way to become smarter than the audience. Because when you do it the first time, nobody's expecting it's a big twist, right? Mm-hmm. But to become creative at designing a twist, that audience... That he that they believe audiences. Oh well, that's what you do, M Night. He might want to like stop just doing twists and like and make a movie. <laughs> and that would, but then people would argue. That, then people would say, "Oh well, it didn't have a twist. What kind of movie is this?" From the, him, the twist is there is no so, twist. Yeah, that's the twist. And I and I think he he almost seems trapped into having to do twist. Mm-hmm. And. I think he's a good visual enough of a director. It would be interesting. I want, it would be also interesting to see him do movies that he didn't write. You know, like, why not? Like, you're a, vis- you're a visually astute director. You could turn somebody else's work into something really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, why not do that? But I think part of it is he wants to have the control over what he does. So. I, I'd be interested to see a limited series on Netflix even. Could happen. Not even a feature, just shorter, um, something along the li- yeah, something along the lines of what he's done, but just in a shorter format where there's a longer-term investment. Blumhouse is listening. That could happen. Yeah, yeah, why not? So, um, well, I think we've covered everything that there could be to cover in Glass. I believe so. We have a like, we have a dislike here. I think we broke it down from a production standpoint, from twists, plot twists, to fights. So um, why don't you tell the audience who you are, what you do, how they can find you uh, on on the social medias. Hey everyone, I'm Mina Wahab. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mina Makes Magic. And go to my website to see all of my reporting and hosting at MinaWahab.com or MinaMakesMagic.com. That's fantastic. Mom, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mom. You, 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 were, you were great. Did that phone call go okay? 
Everything go all right in that call? <laughs> you don't need to apologize. Don't need to apologize whatsoever. You lightened up the show. So thank you for not falling asleep. Thank you, audience, for not falling asleep. Again, my name is Dimitri Panos here on Anatomy of the Movie. You can also find me on Popcorn Talks, uh, Meet the Movie Press, and on the Twitters at DMovies1701. I appreciate your support. Appreciate your watching. Uh, these upcoming weeks, hey, we just had the Academy Award nominations. So we're going to do our best to try to get in as many of the nominated movies uh, under the best category or best actor, actress, and all that. So we have a lot of nominated films that we're going to want to talk about before the Academy Awards. Uh, this is a slow week at the box office. Next week looks to be sort of slow. So we're going to have plenty of time to do some backfill, so to speak. Uh, and then, uh, But we have the rest of the year, and there's tons of movies coming out. And we'll be here as your guide. We'll be here as your guide. And please feel free to comment on YouTube, Apple. Uh, we're on uh, uh, with Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. We're on Spotify, we guys. Are. Spotify, that's crazy to me. Uh, I would unsubscribe, personally. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you very much for watching, listening, and being here with us. Julia, thank you very much for being our awesome producer with all the visual aids and help that you did. It was awesome. Thank you all. Have a good day. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.